When someone uses the phrase, the chosen people of God today, what comes to the minds of most American Christians? Israel or the church? There's no question that the popularity of dispensationalism has caused most people to equate that phrase to Israel as God's chosen people, and indeed that is entirely correct. But that coupled with the prevailing theology of Arminianism with its opposition to the doctrine of election to salvation, I'm afraid, has robbed many of God's people of some of the important truths of the Bible and some that are most important and most blessed indeed. And furthermore, when you couple with that the American and I think a damning tendency toward individualism, which even among the people of God who know and understand the doctrine of election tend to think of it in terms of individual election rather than corporate election, the term the chosen people of God is almost always applied to corporate Israel and seldom to the corporate church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, as we will see in our text for today in 1 Peter 2.9, Peter by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, designates the church as God's chosen people. And at this time in history, God's focus is on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is the church that is designated God's chosen people. And so let us look at it in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But you, opens our text, emphatic words spoken by Peter to contrast who he's talking to now with those that he was talking about just a few words previously, particularly in verse 8, where he talked about those who had failed to believe in Jesus Christ, had rejected the cornerstone that God had sent, who has become to them, therefore, a stone of a stumbling, a stone of stumbling, rather, and a rock of offense. They stumble, says Peter, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed, but you are a chosen generation. Do you catch the contrast and the emphasis You, Peter writes to his readers who are Christians, making his statements personal to them, but you, and the word is in the plural. That's not so obvious in our English translations, but the you here is a collective you. It is a plural you. If Peter lived in North Carolina, he probably would have said, but y'all are a chosen generation. And that helps to get the point across, doesn't it? Helps us to understand exactly what it is that Peter is saying. You are a people spared from deserved judgment. For all of us are sinners, and all of us deserve to come under the condemnation 
that falls upon those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, in His mercy and grace, has spared you from the judgment that has fallen upon others. But you are in contrast to those who are under the severe and awful judgment of a holy God. You are the people of God's special favor. And Peter uses four phrases to describe this people. You are, number one, a chosen generation. Number two, a royal priesthood. Number three, a holy nation. Number four, his own special people. Four phrases to describe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them are phrases from the Old Testament. By this time, you should be concluding that Peter quotes the Old Testament scriptures a lot. And he alludes to various portions of the Old Testament scripture very frequently. And this verse is filled with words and phrases out of the Old Testament scriptures. And all of them in the Old Testament are used to describe national Israel. But Peter takes all of these and ascribes them to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And furthermore, the verbs are present. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his own special people. This is not something that will take place in the future. This is something that is true right now. And so here is how Peter describes the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's look at these phrases one by one. First of all, he says, we, and I'm assuming that the you that he's talking about includes us who are here today. It does if you are saved by the grace of God. If you have been born into the family of God, then you're a part of what Peter is talking about. And so Peter is saying, first of all, that we are a chosen generation, a chosen generation, a genos ekleton. I don't often use the Greek words, but I want you to catch that, that uh, word for chosen, ekleton. What does that sound like? That sounds like election, and indeed that's exactly what it is. Chosen means elect. And Peter has already used that word a number of times in reference to his readers. You recall that in chapter 1, he said in verse 2, he said in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, that is chosen, same word, same word, choose or elect, it's the same word in the Greek, chosen or elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, or elected by God, and precious. And again in verse 6. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, is elect. He's chosen by God and precious. And now he takes that word and applies it again to the people of God in verse 9, our text for today. But you are a chosen or elect generation, an elect people, an elect race. 
race or generation, as the word is translated in my Bible, is a word that means descendants from a common ancestor. When applied to Israel, of course, that was in the physical sense. Descended from the common ancestor of Abraham. The nation of Israel was a people who were related by blood, related by heritage, related by ancestry. They were, could trace their lineage back through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were all descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were a race of people in the physical sense, and they had become a nation in the national sense. But now Peter applies that very word to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is made up of people of every tongue and tribe and nation over all the face of the earth and don't seem to have any common ancestor unless it would be Adam and Noah. But of course the Bible tells us in more than one place that those who are the children of God are the spiritual seed of Abraham, the same ancestor of Israel, but in a different sense. Israel, physical descendants of Abraham, the church, the spiritual seed of Abraham. And the New Testament makes it clear that that's what God meant when he said to Abraham, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Your seed will include not just the physical descendants that come from your loins through Isaac and Jacob, but will include Progeny will include children from all the peoples of the earth, and they are the spiritual seed of Abraham, and they are brought together to form a race, a chosen race. The language that Peter is using here when he calls the church a chosen generation comes straight from the Old Testament scriptures. Several texts we could cite. I'm just going to call your attention to two. And I would ask you to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and look carefully at verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And please notice verse 6 and how many of the phrases in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2 are found in this particular verse. Deuteronomy 7, 6. God said to his people Israel, but you are a holy people. To the Lord your God. What does that sound like? A holy nation, says Peter in verse 9. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. There it is, a chosen generation. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And that corresponds to his own special people in 1 Peter 2.9. Or notice, please, and turn to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, and I want you to notice verses 20 and 21. Isaiah 43, verse 20. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to... My people, my chosen, this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. My people, my chosen, 
They shall declare my praise. First Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Could anyone miss the parallels here? The obvious references, the words, the phrases that are drawn from the Old Testament scriptures that are applied to Israel and now are applied by Peter to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. A chosen generation, an elect race. And this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be clear to us that the election of Old Testament Israel serves as an illustration of the election of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel was chosen by God to be his own special people and to enjoy many special privileges, but many of those special privileges are now applied to another chosen people, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are chosen to be God's special people, but are given privileges that even exceed those that were applied to Israel, better privileges, better blessings, spiritual privileges that rise even above what was given to Israel because they arise to a more obvious spiritual fulfillment. Many of the privileges which to Old Testament Israel seemed to center primarily in a physical sense, a physical fulfillment. So number one, if We are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ by the new birth. We are, number one, a chosen generation. We are, number two, a royal priesthood. Basilion is the word that is translated royal here in my version. Basilion, which has to do with the king, a kingly priesthood. It belongs to the king. Now turn to Exodus 19, the passage I read earlier. In the service this morning. Exodus 19. And let's notice more carefully again verses 5 and 6. Exodus chapter 19. Verses 5 and 6. God speaking to the people of Israel through Moses. Exodus 19.5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... Then you shall be a special treasure to me. There's that special treasure, special possession idea that we've already seen before and see in 1 Peter 2.9. A special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And, verse 6, you shall be to me, what? A kingdom of priests, king, priests, kingly priests, royal Priesthood is the way that it comes across in 1 Peter 2.9. A kingdom of priests and what? A holy nation. There it is exactly word for word in the English as we see it in 1 Peter 2.9. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Don't you see these phrases coming up again and again? And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. A royal priesthood. A priest can come where no one else can come. We see that in the Old Testament, how the priests were allowed into the 
tabernacle and temple area where the worshipers could not go. The priests were allowed into the holy place where other worshipers could not go. The high priest alone could go into the holy of holies where other worshipers, yea, even the other priests could not go. But a priest has privileges of being able to draw near to God in a way that no one else can. To be able to draw into the presence of God where no one else can go. But now, Peter says, if you're part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a kingdom of priests. Every one of you that is a member of this church is a priest. Every one of you is a priest. From this and other places, we draw the doctrine of the priesthood of every believer. That every true child of the Lord Jesus Christ is a priest in the sense that we need no other human mediator in order to draw into the presence of God. We can come because we belong to Christ. The Old Testament Israelites didn't have that privilege. You say, well, in what sense were they then, therefore, a kingdom of priests? Apparently, in their relationship to the other peoples of the world, they did represent the king before others. They did, through their worship, point the way of others to God, the true God. Even the children of Israel were allowed to come to the altar, to come to the priesthood, to come to the temple in the way that no Gentile could come. They were indeed a kingdom of priests, but our privileges are even greater. Every one of us can come into the very presence of the most holy God. The veil in the temple has been torn from top to bottom, and the way has been made for every child of God to go into the very holiest of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The priesthood of every believer does not mean that there is no recognized authority in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that everybody is exactly uh, equal in authority and in leadership. It doesn't mean that when God called the nation of Israel a kingdom of priests, just a few chapters later, he instituted the Levitical priesthood. A kingdom of priests had a company of priests who represented the others. And likewise, we know that in the New Testament scriptures, God has elders, God has pastors who do provide leadership and spiritual authority in the church by God's design. But this is a wonderful truth. The priesthood of every believer, every one of us have direct access to God. Nobody has to go through the preacher to get to God. Nobody has to go through the church to get to God. We are a kingdom of priests. We all have access into the holiest place of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And what do priests do? They offer worship. And we are kingly priests. We are priests that belong to the king. So what are we doing? We are offering worship to the king. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what he tells us. In our text, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what he'd already told us in verses 4 and 5 of the same chapter coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, 
a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be doing? We are to be worshiping the king. We are to be offering up sacrifices to the king. Not the sacrifice. Christ is the sacrifice that has already been made. But we are to be offering up sacrifices of praise. Sacrifices of of earnest devotion. Devoted service to the king. We are a kingdom of priests that is offering worship to the king. And so as Israel was the priestly nation to the world of her day, pointing the world in the right direction to where worship should focus, where it should be directed, so the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the priestly people that God has placed in this world today that we might point others to the worship of the true God. We can point others to whom they ought to worship and show them how they can worship him. That's our privilege. That's our duty to serve as a company, a priest to the king, a kingdom of priests. And so we have access to God where others do not. And we can represent others before God. And we can intercede for others before the throne of God, and we can teach others about God and lead them to God. That, by the way, was one of the functions of the Old Testament Levitical priesthood, was to be a company of teachers, to teach people the law of God, to show them what the Scriptures say. And the priests did that. And we, as a kingdom of priests, are to have that function to the world. We are to teach the world the word of God. We are to point them to the true and living God. We are to lead them to Jesus Christ, and we are to offer acceptable worship up to God. So number one, we are a chosen generation. Number two, we, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, are a royal priesthood. Number three, we, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, are a holy nation. A holy nation. Where does that come from? We just saw it in Exodus 19.6. Back to Exodus 19.6 again. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation, said God to Old Testament Israel. And Peter says to the New Testament church, You shall be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. In fact, he doesn't say you shall be. He says you are. Quoting Exodus 19.6 exactly, word for word, holy nation. Holy, separate, set apart from the world to God and to his service. A holy nation. This is a word that means people as an ethnic group. In the case of Israel, we understand the ethnic dimensions of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, They belong to one ethnicity. People as an ethnic group who have a common ancestor, who have the same laws and the same customs and the same interests. And that word is now applied to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are an ethnic group, but again in a spiritual way, not a physical way. We have a common ancestor in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We have been born by the Spirit of God. And we have common laws and customs and interests. Our laws have been given to us by our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we obey Him. And that's true all over the world, wherever God's people are found. And furthermore, we have customs that are alike. Wherever you go in all the world, whatever whatever ethnicity, physically speaking, they're from, if they're born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can enter into their worship and you will find so much that is common. Now, you may not understand the words and you may not know the tunes of what they sing. The music may sound a bit different because they're cultural, local cultural aspects of all of that. But if you go into a, a church of the Lord Jesus Christ in some other part of the world where you've never been before, you will immediately recognize that they're doing the same thing we do. They're singing praises to God through Jesus Christ just like we do. They're lifting prayers to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ just like we do. They're, they're listening to a sermon, to, to a, a teaching, an explanation of the Word of God, just like we do. From time to time, they gather around the communion table and remember the Lord in the, in the cup and the bread in exactly the same, we do, the same way we do. Uh, they baptize people. And all of these things are common customs the world over. We have the same laws. We have the same Customs. We have the same interest because we are the same race. We are of the same nation. We are of the same ethnicity, spiritually speaking. A holy nation. Israel was God's holy nation. And yet they forfeited their special position as God's holy nation. Exodus 19.5 Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Did they obey his voice? Did they keep his covenant? They did not. Israel was God's holy nation, but they were unfaithful to God. But Peter says the church is the holy nation of God today. Turn to Matthew chapter 21 for a moment. While you're turning, let, my, let me say, those of you who are feeling nervous, wondering where I'm going with this, just settle down and listen carefully. This is Bible, folks. Matthew 20, don't, don't be trying to jump ahead and figure out where I'm going. Just listen to what the Word of God says. Listen to where I am now and what I'm saying. Matthew, and, and why did I say that? Because some of you look a little nervous. That's why I said it. In Matthew 21, we have the parable of the wicked vine dressers where Christ denounced the religious leaders of Israel and he told them that they were the ones who fulfilled the prophecy about the rejected cornerstone. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone rejected by the builders. Now, verse 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures 
The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then notice verse 43. Therefore I I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to whom? And given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Same word that's used here, ethnos. Same word, holy nation. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation, another nation. But it turns out to be not another nation like the Babylonians or the Egyptians or the Chaldeans, another another geopolitical entity, another nation with with uh, territory and boundaries and a and a, a capital and an earthly king that you can see. It turns out to be the nation which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, this this spiritual nation, this chosen generation, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this own special people of God. God says, I will take the kingdom away from you and give it to a nation that will render the fruit that ought to be rendered unto me. Surely there could be no question, therefore, that the church is God's holy nation today. The church is God's chosen people today. The chosen people of God. The church is the royal priesthood of God today. The church is the holy nation today of which Peter speaks, of which Christ spoke. Can be little question about that. A nation which has no territory, no borders, and no visible king upon earth. It has no common physical race or physical ancestry. It is a kingdom which is within the kingdoms of this world and spread all throughout it. It is a nation within the nations of the world and is largely unseen and unnoticed by most of the people of the world. It is a unified nation who have the same laws and customs and interests that bind them all together around the Lord Jesus Christ. The members of this nation are law-abiding citizens of every land. They are citizens of the holy nation and they are all citizens of their respective countries at the same time. They are people who are loyal to the country of their birth or the country of their adoption, and yet they have a superior allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a nation that is not a threat to the other nations of the world in the political or military sense at all. But this is a nation of people who know the Lord Jesus Christ and love Him and only desire to please Him and to do good to their neighbors. They have no malignant designs upon the people around them. In fact, they are busily recruiting others to join them in this holy nation. But in doing so, they do not remove anyone as loyal citizens of their own country. This is an amazing nation. This is a spiritual nation. This is a superior nation. This is a holy nation. It is God's nation. A nation that is set apart for God. And then number four, Peter tells us that we are God's own special people. 
You are, number one, a chosen generation. Number two, a royal priesthood. Number three, a holy nation. Number four, his own special people. Where does that come from? Well, back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. Or Isaiah, we read it earlier, Isaiah 43, 21. This people I have formed for myself. This people for myself. We are God's own special people. We are a people, literally, for a possession. God's possession, a word that means to purchase, to acquire for a price, and then to highly regard as one's own. The old King James says we are what? A peculiar people. That's one of those many words in the authorized version that has become obsolete. and People don't know what that means anymore. Originally, it meant a highly prized possession. It comes, as I recall, and I haven't, I didn't check this this week, and I haven't looked at it for several years, but I believe it comes from the Latin word picus, which means cow. And in the earlier days, uh, people often would, would uh, count their wealth by the number of their cows. And even in Africa today, I found out that I could marry my daughters and receive several cows in return. But even there, they don't usually actually transfer the cows to you, but they, they, they figure it out in cows, in picuses. And that's the idea here. We are God's own possession, God's own wealth, God's own special treasure. We are his peculiar people. I wonder how many sermons have been preached on the King James rendering of that verse that says, We are to be a different people. We are to be a peculiar people. We are to be like the people in the world around us, which is true, but has nothing to do with the word peculiar. Nothing at all. Which is why I think we do need to update our translations in any language from time to time. The language does not say the same. It doesn't mean the same. It becomes harder and harder for people to understand what it's saying. But who are we? We are a special people, his own special people. We are a people for his possession. As Israel belonged to God in a special way, he chose them, he bought them. He chose them, he redeemed them out of Egyptian bondage at great cost. He chose them, He redeemed them by blood, and they became his special people, his special nation, God's chosen people. But in the same way, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been chosen by God and has been redeemed at awful cost, at the blood of his own dear son. And we are therefore his people, his possession, his treasure. His highly valued treasure. His own special people. That's who we are. That's who we are. 
Do we recognize that? Do we act that way? Do we live that way? Do we live our lives day by day with these grand and amazing truths in mind? But it is difficult, is it not, here to miss the similarity of language between Old Testament Israel and the church? I've tried to make it very difficult for you to miss that because I think it needs to be emphasized. It needs to be pointed out and understood. It's difficult to overlook that Peter has applied the exact same language that in the Old Testament applied to national Israel, that Peter has applied that language to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is difficult, therefore, to avoid the implication that the church has inherited many of the same privileges that formerly belonged to national Israel. So, does that mean that God has nothing in store for Israel in the future? I'm not saying that. I don't know for sure. But I do know we have to recognize that something important has taken place. And we have to focus on what God says about the church and who we are now. I think next time I return to this passage, I may talk more about that question that I just raised as we move on into verse 10. But it is very important that we understand what the Bible is telling us. Who are the chosen people of God today? I say it again. Who, according to the Bible, who are the chosen people of God today? It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. You are his own special people. Who are the chosen people of God today? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the chosen people of God today. There can be little question about it. And so what does that mean for those of us who have gathered here today? Well, two things. Number one, make your calling and election sure. Your calling and election. The verse goes on to say that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the calling that we need to make sure. Who called you out of darkness. Make your calling and election sure. That is, if you believe that you have been saved, be sure. Make sure that the calling that you believe has brought you into union with Christ is indeed a calling of the Holy Spirit of God. Make sure that the election that you claim as a child of God, is indeed the election of God. You say, well, how do you do that? By examining your heart, by going to the Lord, by going to Him in humility, by going to Him in confession of sin, by going to Him acknowledging your need, and nobody ever came to Christ that way and was turned away, was He? So you, from time to time, make your calling and election sure. That's a truth that the Bible gives us that is not very often emphasized. But God's people are to do that. 
God's people are to do that from time to time. Make your professed calling and election sure because it's good for the true people of God to do that from time to time. It's vital for the professing people of God to do that from time to time because some profess that which is not real. They have not been born into the family of God. But everyone who humbles himself before the Lord, everyone who turns from his sin, everyone who embraces Christ and him alone for salvation is brought into the family of God. Him that cometh to me, said Jesus, I will in no wise cast out. So the first thing to do is to make your calling and election sure. Be sure that you truly are a part of the chosen people of God. And secondly, if you are, show it. Declare it. Why are you in the company called the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, his own special people. It is that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If that's you, then here's what you are to be doing. Declare it openly, gladly, regularly, widely. Begin by publicly Professing your faith in Christ through believer's baptism and openly identifying yourself with the visible church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then make it your lifelong goal to publish abroad the greatness of this God who has done such a marvelous, such a powerful, such a gracious work within your soul. May God help us. Shall we pray? Indeed, O Lord, we have been privileged and blessed beyond measure. We who are part of this company, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, this elect body, this chosen generation. O Lord God, what privileges we have which are beyond understanding and beyond declaring. And yet, O Lord, you have called upon us to declare the greatness of the God who has done this for us. O Lord, we confess that we have so often failed in this regard. We confess our shame and our failure. O help us, Lord, to recognize the greatness of our privilege, the greatness of your grace, the greatness of your wisdom, the greatness of your power, the greatness of your mercy, the greatness of your love, and to go forth and declare this to others. And help us to live in the light of who we are as your chosen special people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.